0: Hey, you can grab a seat. Um, like Mitchell, this does my heart really good to see the next generation leading us in worship. I love that sort of thing. Thank you guys for doing that. Um, we're going to start uh, my part of the service. I've asked them to play a song that it gets played at Christmas time, and it's considered a Christmas song. And when you listen to the lyrics, you're going to ask yourself, "Why is this a Christmas song?" And that's going to be a legitimate question because. Um, There's a line in there about the failure of King David. There's a line in there about the failure of Samson. There's a verse in there about doubting the very existence of God. And so um, you look at all of this and you're like, why why is this even in the song? And if you pay close attention, what you're seeing in this song is all kinds of things that have happened in people's lives that rob them of their ability to give God proper praise. That's what it's about. And so in in light of that, it might actually be a really good Christmas song because this is a time of year where our ability to give praise to God should be at a high, and sometimes we struggle with that. There are things that come along and rob us of our ability to do that. So I I hope you'll listen to this song. The song is called Hallelujah. If it helps you at all, um, Hallelujah means God be praised. It's a statement of worship, and you're going to hear that song or that word repeated over and over, which is why I think it makes it as a Christmas song, but the idea that something is robbing our ability to give, maybe the best you can give is a cold and brokenhearted hallelujah. I'm hoping that um, by the end of this, um, this morning, that we might be able to provide you an opportunity for you to find a way to give a wholehearted and genuine hallelujah, that Um, we're going to take and we're going to look at another song in the Christmas story. It's in Luke chapter 1 and 2. So far, we've looked at two. We've looked at two um, different songs that normal people wrote expressing what they wanted to express. And we're about to look at a third. And... um, All of these, all of these are currently sung in churches around the world at this time of year. They're generally in more traditional churches, almost always they're sung in Latin, but not necessarily. The one that we're gonna look at today is called the Nunc Didymus. It it was actually sung in English in 2014 by the National Lutheran Choir. And if you wanted to go and see this, you could get it on YouTube, you could do a little search for it. And I'll admit, it's not my kind of music, but I listened to it, and there were a couple times where it gave me the chills. Like, it, it was pretty cool. So if you want to go and check it out, I think you, you could do that. You could see how that would be performed live. There are four songs in Luke's story, two in chapter 1, two in chapter 2. And the, the ones in chapter 2, you might, you might be able to make a case that they're not songs because the Scriptures say that these songs are said Somebody saying them, not necessarily singing them, except they're, they're put down in such poetic form that almost everybody agrees that these were, these were songs. These were songs that were being performed, even though it says it's saying, there was still a musical part to this. And, uh, and the three that we've looked at, the two we looked at so far, and the one that we're going to add today, have all something in common. One they all point to the Messiah and they talk about that part of the story and they're really celebrating what's happening there. But every one of these stories also does this. They put a little bit of their personal story inside that song. Mary did it. Zechariah talked about how he was gonna raise a son that would point to the Messiah. And this song is gonna have something very personal about what he says about himself in this song is dramatic it it ought to snap your attention and you're like something big must be going on for him to say something like that and we already know something's big going on but here's what I find interesting Um, we're about to meet Mary and Joseph and, and Jesus in a very particular place in the scriptures and we're actually given some information in the text to tell us what's going on the problem is it leaves out the details. It would have, because if he's writing to a Jewish community, they didn't need the details. You give me the oversight, I know everything else that's going on. I get it. We, we need some more help with that. And I want, I want to go through some of that with you so that you can understand what's happening in their lives when the next song gets written, gets sung. It's pretty significant, I think. So um, we're hinted at the details here in Luke chapter 2. Here's the overview. 22, verse 22 of Luke uh, 2. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So they're taking Jesus because of purification rites and some other things that are going on. Um, What we know from history... Is that when a woman had a baby, she was then considered unclean because of that process of that. She would have to go through a process at the temple where she would become ritually clean. But she had to wait a certain number of days. If she had a baby boy, she waited 33 days. If she had a baby girl, she waited 66 days. This is is hard stuff because you are sequestered at home. You, you, you don't see people. You're not going out. You're not doing anything. And part of that, I think, man, that could be good. It could be good for the mom just to rest, and but not to see anybody, not to go to a market, not to do anything. You are in your house because to be around anybody else, you're seen as unclean. So we know at this point that they're headed to the temple for purification. So we know 33 days have passed. Now, for a young Jewish couple that's had their firstborn son, they're required to do four things. And we know at day 33, they've already done one of them. So at day eight, they had to name the child and circumcise the child. That's done. They gave him the name Jesus, Savior. If it was in Hebrew, then Yeshua. Um, The Lord is salvation. I've always found it kind of interesting when people have made the case that Jesus really never tried to make a claim that he was anybody other than a man. Um, it, it doesn't line up. If you understand the Jewish reading of the text, you would never come to that conclusion. But you, names meant things. You'd never think that if you understood that names meant things and they were giving him the name Savior. The Lord is salvation. This is right out in the open. Nobody's hiding anything. This is God's intentions revealed. So Jesus has been named. He's been circumcised. We know that because we're at least at day 33. It could have been a little longer because if, if the like, 34th day started on a Sabbath, you would have to wait. You would have to wait until that was all over and then you would travel and you would do this. So uh, Mary would have gone and she would have gone through this whole ritual process. There was baths to take, all kinds of things. And so at the end of it, she could re-enter society. She could engage with community. she could go shopping. She could do whatever. Now, it was going to be hard for her. People were not going to treat her well because they knew that she was not yet officially married to Joseph. But still, at least the complete isolation was done. So we know those two things have happened, but there's two more things that are going to happen too. And those get referred to as well. In verse 23, it goes on and says this, As it is written, the law of the Lord, every firstborn, firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. Sacred. They were sacred. They were presenting, going, and presenting Jesus to the Lord. Why? Well, very much particular to firstborn, at least, and a firstborn son for sure, that child was considered God's. Sacred unto God. And what Mary and Joseph were doing was they were going to go and present this child that God had gifted them. And then they would give a sacrifice. It was called a thank offering. They would give this sacrifice to God where in essence what they were doing was they were going to redeem that child so that they could have the privilege of raising that child on behalf of God. I love the picture. I, I mean, it's close it's close to what we do with child dedication. We have this idea that um, kids are a gift from God and so we want to raise them to honor God. And for them, it was not just that God um, kind of gave this child as a gift. That, that child was God's in the first place. And they were, they were creating a sacrifice that would cost them something. And so they understood, for me to take and raise this child will cost me something and I'm going to do that for the privilege. Now, if there's anybody who would appreciate the irony of this, it's Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph, understanding that God has given them something that's not theirs, and they are going to sacrifice for the privilege of raising that child. I, I love it. I think it's cool. It's made me wonder though, because this process was started in the Torah 1,500 years earlier and I'm wondering if God started that looking forward 1,500 years knowing this moment would come in history where mankind would be in a place where they were going to take a gift of his and raise it and he wanted this whole system set up where you thought, where you thought of, I'm going to sacrifice for the privilege of raising this child and, and Mary And Joseph had to have that on their mind. Because that is exactly what they were doing. And they knew. They knew this was unique. They knew this was special. By the way, this should have been a lamb. You would sacrifice a lamb for the thank offering. We'll get to that in just a second. The fourth and final thing that you would do was a sin offering. Also mentioned, 24 and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord a pair of doves or two young pigeons now the sin offering was a dove or a pigeon but they're giving two doves or two pigeons what's going on here there's no lamb being sacrificed well it's clear that Joseph and Mary are opting for one of the exceptions in the law i don't know that it's it's keenly important but here's here's the exception If you were a poor family, you didn't have to sacrifice a lamb for the thank offering. You could sacrifice a bird. And so, so God wasn't putting Jesus in some favored family where they had all the advantages. He was just a normal family where they couldn't even afford a lamb offering for the thank offering. But it was good enough. God thought, hey, this is important. And I accept this because your hearts are in the right place. So they have gone and they're, they're doing this. I don't know where they're at in the process, but can you understand how significant this day is for them? They're overcoming the ritual stuff, the, the purification things, but they're also making sacrifices, a sin sacrifice that would say, I want to be right with you, God, as I take on this responsibility to raise this kid. I'm going to make a sacrifice and say, I'm going to sacrifice and redeem this child so I can be in a place to raise him. Thank you for this gift. This is really emotional kind of stuff. And you, you could understand why they would be emotional, right? They know something big is going on. Both of them have been visited by an angel, one in person, one in a dream. Both of them were there when the shepherds came by and said that a heavenly host had announced some stuff about their baby. And they're both just, they know something's up. And then to be in this environment where they're realizing that this is a gift from God that we now get to raise. All of that is kind of piling up inside them. And in the moment where all of that stuff is happening... God brings somebody else across their path. Literally brings somebody across their path. This is what verse 27 says. Moved by the Spirit, he. Whoever is coming into the scene next, the Spirit of God actually propels them to be there in this moment. He's going to interject himself in their lives. The, The guy we're about to look at, his name is Simeon. And here's what we uh, know. Um, Simeon was not a special officer of the temple. He was not in a special class. We know he's not a Pharisee. He's not a Sadducee. They would have said so. He appears to be a normal guy. Somebody who's devoutly following after God. And in this moment, God, God moves him and it says he brings him into the temple courts. So this is right where all of this stuff is happening for Mary, Joseph and Jesus. Like he's intersecting them at this significant moment in their lives where all of this kind of stuff has been going on. And then and then he does this. He walks up to them and he takes the baby from I don't know Joseph or Mary. How would you respond if a stranger walked up and kind of grabbed your child I don't know my first thought is somebody's looking for trouble right I mean that, what, what are you doing here does it make it any better that um, after he does that he breaks out into song I don't know maybe you're like okay maybe this guy's harmless or you're like oh this guy's insane something is wrong here like he just started singing uh, Rembrandt painted a picture of this um, just so you um, what Simeon's song of praise? Um, you can see him there, holding the baby, kind of in between. Um, you can't see how he's dressed. Uh, he would just been a normal guy. I, I lo- I'd love that um, picture. I'd love to go see it in person, but uh, that presence of what he's about to say is a big deal. So they, they allow this to happen. They allow this stranger to kind of take this baby. And then he starts to sing. He says this. Verse 29. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised. You made some sort of promise. And I'm now looking at the thing that you promised. He says you may now dismiss your servant in peace you read that I now am willing to die in peace I'm good it's almost like um, Simeon has a, a bucket list I, I don't know if you've ever made. I've never made a bucket list I've, I guess I've just thought I'm way too young for that right I'm way young. I'm not. I know I'm not. I know life is fragile, like it's valuable and important. Um, but I've never gone through the process of writing down these things that I want to try to accomplish. I know others have. It appears that whatever was on Simeon's list, this this was the last. Maybe this was the only thing on his list what was he looking for the thing that god had promised him is that one day he would see the messiah before he died and having seen the messiah by the way isn't that kind of interesting that that's on his list because if you if you talk to other people who have a bucket list what you'll hear on that list is places they want to travel things that they want to experience and see people they want to meet And apparently Simeon had a people they want to meet, but his was about what God was doing in his kingdom. He was concerned that God would have this ability to actually change Israel. That's what what was driving his heart. That's what he wanted to see most of all, was God at work in the world. It was a very different kind of bucket list. And in the presence of this baby who God drove him to see, He says, I'm at peace. If my life stopped now, I would be happy. Kind of amazing if you think about it. Jesus producing peace in his life is about to be what his whole life is about. Jesus is going to offer peace to anybody who would want it and people are going to turn it away. But if if they wanted peace, they could have it. And Simeon, who has a desire to see God move, shows up and finds that sense of peace. Now it's not over. Verse 32, he says something else that's different. He says this about Jesus, that he'll be a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory for of your people Israel Now listen up to this point Mary and Zechariah have both sung songs about how Israel is going to be redeemed but not one of them ventured into the territory where gentiles would be included in this thing too It was it was always a God is finally going to bring and relieve Israel's suffering we're finally going to have a Messiah that we need But Simeon talks about something bigger. He's pointing to this idea that God is about to do something that's going to change the whole world, not just Israel. Joseph and Mary haven't heard that up to this point. They've been focused on, they've believed that there must. This little child that they're going to raise is going to become Messiah and change things for Israel. But now they have something bigger to look at, something bigger to focus on. And listen to what the scriptures say about their response. This is verse 33. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. They marveled, they're awestruck. They cannot believe that God has placed them in the middle of this story where this little baby is not just going to change the trajectory of Israel but is going to mess with the whole world. Gentiles are going to be pulled in. And there is a thing that happens in their heart where they're just awestruck by this truth. And then Simeon says this. It's kind of sobering. Verse 34. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. Goes on to, to say that his presence will reveal what's in people's hearts. Now this is, this is pretty significant. If, you, if you, there's a careful reading of this verse right here. You'll understand that there are three categories of people that are being addressed. You can see the rising, that's that's in there very clearly. There will be some who embrace this message and they'll be lifted up past their circumstances, past life. They'll have peace that they don't understand. The message of Jesus will lift them. There'll be others who will fall. It's not just going to be that they don't embrace the message. They are going to resist the message. They are going to say, that's not what I want in my life. And it will actually cause heartache, brokenness for them. But if you look carefully, it says the word many, not all. Many will rise. Many will fall. But there's a category for a third. Some people will just not pay enough of attention to care too distracted too uninterested they'll let it go right by them and they'll be robbed of their ability to give proper praise to God why they're indifferent they just don't care see there are different ways to have your hallelujah robbed. You, you, can, you can be in a place where it, you actually resist the message of God, or you can be in a place where you're just indifferent to it. Band, if you would make your way out here, that would be great. Um, Simeon, Joseph, and Mary are in a situation where they're looking at this baby. And they're realizing all that God's going to do. And what what is it well up in them? A sense of praise and gratefulness for who God was, for what God was doing. But there's others that they knew. Simeon just warns them, listen, coming down the pike, there's going to be a whole bunch of different reactions to this baby. And part of it, some will reject him. And some will be so indifferent or so distracted they're going to miss him. Look, if there was ever a group of people who ought to be awestruck by this story, it's those of us who sit in this room as Gentiles who were invited to a table that we shouldn't have been at. God did that for us. And he told about it through this average, everyday guy as he sings a song that we would, be, we would be included in this family. And so it's not surprising. We have a whole season where we kind of celebrate. Why? Because this is such big news. It's so important stuff that we have a holiday where we don't go to work. We rest. We have time to think about God. And we fill that stuff up with so many things, good things many times, that we're so distracted that it's possible for us to go through the Christmas season and not give God his proper praise. He never hears our thankful and grateful hearts. A God who poured out his love for us in an unimaginable way because it wasn't just that he sent his son. That son would become a sacrifice for you and I. And this was the beginning of a salvo that would change the world. This baby would come, would open the door for us to have a different kind of life. And the question is, is there a way for you to refocus during this season? I know there's lots of stuff to do. There's things to cook. There's things to buy. There's people to go see. All of it, all of it's good. But if you're not careful, if you don't refocus and find at the heart of a story some marvel, some awe for what God has done for you, your hallelujah may be robbed too. See, what I think God is looking for is people who understand the love that he showed to us so that we would respond with genuine and wholehearted hallelujahs for him. The band's going to start playing a song about that kind of love. I want you to just soak in the words initially. They're going to ask you to eventually stand and be a part of that. But I want you to listen and try to refocus your your attention right now to give God the praise he's worthy of.